We are back in our third and final segment today. All right, returning to the program is Paul Dorn of the California Bicycle Coalition. Paul talked to us a few weeks back about bicycles, bicycling, a subject near and dear to his heart, and I thought it'd be good if he came back to talk about the Tour de France. Paul, are you there? Uh, yeah, hi, Doug. Now, uh, the Tour de France is a very big deal in bicycle circles. It certainly is. And, um, you know, this weekend, this Sunday, Lance Armstrong uh, won the race. It was his sixth race um, in the 101-year history of the Tour. Uh, he's the first cyclist ever to win six. Several oh. cyclists have won four races, and it's quite an accomplishment. And for those of us who appreciate cycling, it's it's uh, pretty significant because of all the me- media coverage it generates, the sort of legitimacy it gives to bicycling as a recreational and uh, athletic activity. And our hope at the California Bicycle Coalition is some of those recreational cyclists might consider using their bikes for some of those everyday trips they make now by car. Sure. Well, when you see a guy basically doing all of France on a bicycle, you realize you can go pretty far with one. <laughs> you, you can. And, um, of course, he had a lot of help. I mean, he has a team of... Yeah, let, yeah let's talk about that. It, it, he's an individual guy that gets all the publicity, and yet all, all of them are on teams. All of them are on teams, right. Uh, the key to winning uh, an event like the Tour de France is basically to conserve your energy for those critical stages where then you can exhibit your specialty. And in... In bike racing, there are several kinds of specialties. I mean, there are sprinters, people with very heavy, powerful uh, frames that can generate you know, fast speed over short distances, and generally these, are, these occur at the end of a, a mass finish stage, and it's quite an exciting event to watch. Yeah. You know, 60 cyclists trying to you know, get through a little space all at once. Um, then you have climbers, lightweight riders who um, can climb mountains pretty quickly and, and that's much more of an aerobic kind of activity it's all about lungs and heart. right and then you have um sort of rollers they're called in french it's just you know steady power over long distances much more about duration durability and most teams are composed of a, some blend of all of these and uh the blend is determined by their aspirations their ambitions for the race um when the race starts uh you have 21 teams, nine riders each. Really? Each team has nine riders? Yes. Wow. So you have almost 200 riders, and out of that crowd, probably only five or six have any realistic hope of winning the overall Tour de France. And these are the riders you hear about, the Jan Ulrichs, the Roberto Ross, the uh, Tyler Hamilton, and, of course, Lance Armstrong. Well, now, now what separates Lance Armstrong from the other eight? Why do nine guys get together and decide, we're going to put you over the finish line first? Okay, well... What Armstrong is similar to a quarterback in football, and these other riders then protect him. They create a draft for him so that he can ride in a slipstream and conserve his energy. Um, they will chase down breakaways so that uh, a challenger can't get much of a, a gap on the rest of the race. Now, now how, do, how does that work when you say a breakaway? Some guy goes sprinting up far ahead, uh-huh. and then there's a designated team guy to go catch him? Yes, if... if you know, basically, the, the the rider, the peloton, which is the big group of 200 riders, uh-huh. and through attrition, it, it gradually shrinks over the course of the race. Um, these 200 riders will ride along at a fairly casual pace, about 25 miles an hour. I mean, that would be a death, you know, deathly pace for people like me. Sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, fairly casual race, and then people who are looking to maybe get their team sponsors a little bit of publicity on television, or uh-huh. maybe they have aspirations for that day's particular stage victory. They'll, they'll try to burst off the front and get a bit of a gap. And if you can get three or four or, or as many as ten 
ahead. They can start working together, um, taking turns at the front, creating that draft, creating that slipstream, and, and try to break away. Now, if you are a, a rider like Lance Armstrong, who's less interested in each daily stage, but more interested in the overall victory. So, you know, over the course of three weeks, you have various stages. You have flatter stages where the sprinters will come to the fore. You'll have the mountain stages. You'll have time trials where um, Armstrong doesn't have the advantage of a team. He rides, Each rider rides solo one at a time in a time trial, and they're clocked. So there's various stages, and basically it all is set up to determine who is the strongest rider in this field of, of competitors. So even though it, see, it, it appears that Armstrong is benefiting from a strong team, and he did indeed have the strongest team in this year's race, I think yeah. no one really will dispute that. They were just, um, they've always been very good, but this year they were exceptionally good. But it, it all seems strange to me. I remember many years ago doing the Davis double century, uh, and, and at about a mile 160, man, I was Cooked. I was out of gas, and the guy says, you can draft me. And I don't know what percentage it is that you get uh, you know, in terms of less energy in a, in a slipstream, but it's pretty substantial. After 10 to 15 miles, I felt pretty good again. Right. You, you can conserve as much as 20% of your energy. Is it by, that much? By riding in a slipstream, yeah. And that's I was why able, you'll see the yeah. riders all bunched together. Yeah, sure. I was able to return the favor for the guy afterwards, and then, you know, it all worked out. But you sure can see what teamwork can do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and every team has their designated general classification, their overall... Um, challenger, and then they have different types of riders, climbers, uh, yeah. sprinters, rollers, and Armstrong's team performed pretty well, and uh, it's quite an accomplishment to, to win a sixth race. Well, well, Paul, I hope this, this has some fallout for bicyclists and bicycling everywhere. Yeah, I, I think it will. I mean, you see stories about how people will go into bike shops and ask, can I get a bike like Lance's? And then they see uh -huh. the price tag, which is about $5,000, and they say, okay, well, something similar to Lance's. But I think it does, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. it, it gives legitimacy to yeah. the activity of cycling, and, and, and that's important for motorists just to be reminded that it does you know, have a place in our, our culture and our, uh, on our roads and our streets. And uh, maybe some youngsters might get inspired by um, people sure. like Lance Armstrong. Not sure. everybody can play football, not everybody can play baseball, but maybe they can take up cycling and, and have an activity they can enjoy for a long time. I, it occurs to me as you say this, I need to buy a new bicycle, so you're going to have to make at least for sure one more appearance on the show to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I need some tips. All right. Well, thank you very much, Doug. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, you know, I can remember uh, eating at the Webster Emerson dorm many years ago with Mr. Dave Scott. Dave uh, Davis from Davis. I th I, for all I know, he still lives in Davis. Maybe he's listening to this show right now. But uh, he was, you know, of course, the world premier triathlete for quite some time. And uh, I bought one of his bikes. At least it had his, it had his signature on it, his name on it, and, and used that for many years. But, boy, the way the technology is advancing, time to move up. So we'll have to bring Paul back and tell us all how to go up out there and, uh, you know, take advantage of the new technology. Well, we haven't done a, done a whole lot of science on today's program, but I'm hoping that we can talk technology in the weeks to come. Uh, we are talking with Mr. Steve Wozniak, the legendary co-founder of Apple, along with Steve Jobs, and he's agreed to come on the show in August. So we're certainly look for, we certainly look forward to that. We we've also been talking to Brian Cato Kalen through emails, and uh, and uh, we expect him to join us as well in the month to come. Although the topic that we will discuss is somewhat indeterminate. But he seems like a fun guy. All right, returning to our show is uh, KDVS's own intern here at the radio station, Mr. Ford Hayes. 
Good evening. And may I add, the summer evenings are lovely in this valley. Well, they, they certainly are. How, how was your spring quarter, Ford? Oh, I was invigorated by your Western culture, and I've decided to remain here through November as a political fundraiser. Now, I think we should remind our listeners that you come to us from Yale University, where you were, you were actually skull and bones. <laughs> I can't talk about that. You know, what's the big deal about your secret societies there at Yale? Oh, Douglas, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've read that Skull and Bones is pretty stoked about uh, this Bonesman versus Bonesman presidential race. There are many who would like to slip this country a Bonesman. I see. Many who strive to thrust this election forward. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're all pressing hard. Don't you know it. Now, who are you fundraising for, Ford? Political figures from Yale, of either party. Do you like John Kerry? John F. Kerry has said it so well, I think, when he notes that it is time for Americans to let America be America. As opposed to say what? As opposed to letting America be, say, uh, the Congo, or Bulgaria, or perhaps uh, Paraguay. Uh-huh. So uh, you support Kerry's advocacy of, of us being ourselves. I think I speak for many Americans when I say that I am for Americanism. Americanism. Probably so. Well, I know that President Warren G. Harding once said he didn't know much about Americanism, but it was a great word with which to win an election. Douglas, I won't apologize for being an Americanist, nor will I apologize for Americanism. Ford? Yes? What the hell are you talking about? Let me say this. As a campaign worker working the breadth of these United States, fighting the good fight, one must strive to uphold ideals that have made us great and can continue to do this if we will retain them. Do all you guys talk like this at Yale? Forgive me, but I cannot avoid being swept up in this march to democracy. Many of us are taking up the cudgels to deliver blows, heavy, repeated blows for free choice. Ford? Yes? Are you planning to run for office? One cannot know where one's future takes us, uh, can one? Well, one suspects, given your speech pattern, that you'll throw some hat in some ring. In answer to that, may I say one thing? No, I... no actually you may not, but we hope that you'll keep us uh, advised of the Kerry Edwards campaign and the Bush-Cheney campaign. Well, no matter who triumphs, we will see someone prepared to show what bonesmen can do for the country. Should we be worried about that? I would say no. Our fate will be entrusted to steady hands. Hands that will work hard below rolled up sleeves, toiling ceaselessly Ford. to it. Yes? Cork it. Absolutely, Douglas. All right, but we'll talk again soon. Terrific. That was our KDVS radio intern, Mr. Ford Hayes, uh, lately of Yale University. All right, thanks to Tom Burke, Jim DiEugenio, Paul Dorn, and of course, Ford Hayes and Mississippi Senator Trent Lott. We will uh, talk to you again next Thursday, possibly with yours truly from a remote location in the Midwest. I believe that Stephen Valentino may be sitting in for us at that time. We've gone two straight years without a sub, but... Um, we just may have to do that next week. This is Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan 
and I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for Todd.